Well, uh, everyone likes a good story, right? Uh, whether it's a, a fairy tale like Hansel and Gretel, Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood, whether it's a, a play like Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet, musical like Hamilton or Les Mis, classic book like Pride and Prejudice, Great Gatsby, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. We all love a good story, don't we? You might be a, more of a fan of movies like The Avengers or Shrek or Lord of the Rings. You might prefer the shorter format of TV shows like Seinfeld, Big Bang Theory or The Office. Maybe you like listening to your friends or family tell personal stories. I love listening to Sammy make up stories about knights and dragons and controngai trains. You can ask him what controngai trains are one day. You all have preferences, right? You might be more into biographies than fiction. You might prefer watching TV shows over movies or movies over reading books. You might prefer the classics over more modern stuff. But whatever your preferences are when it comes to stories, there's one thing that's for sure. Everyone loves a good story. Stories have a way of capturing your imagination, of transporting you to a different time, a different world. The characters have a way of capturing your heart, of playing with your emotions. As you involve yourself in a good story, you begin to feel something for the characters, for this world. Stories have a way of challenging the way we see the world. The, the author of Game of Thrones, George R.R. R. Martin, once said, a reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. As we begin to see life through the eyes of someone else, as we're drawn into the story to inhabit their world in our imagination, we begin to see what they see, to feel what they feel. And bit by bit, these stories change us. Think of what happens uh, when we watch a TV show with, with a, a character stuck in a loveless marriage. She meets someone wonderful, a kind, generous and humble man. And they seem perfect for each other. But she's married to this arrogant, controlling and vindictive husband. Now, we would say that marriage is till death do us part. That adultery is wrong, a sin against God and a sin against our spouse. But as we watch that TV show, as we're drawn into the story, as it plays with our emotions, what happens? We begin to feel something of this woman's emotions. We begin to see life through her eyes. And so often we end up wanting her to leave her loveless marriage and get together with this other guy. Stories have a way of challenging our most deeply held beliefs as we're confronted with a new reality. And so it's no wonder then that Jesus taught using stories, a particular form of story called parable. If you read through the Gospels in the New Testament, you'll find parable after parable. Depending on how loosely you define what a parable is, you can find over 40 unique parables. And these are just the ones recorded for us. Not all parables are stories, of course. Some, are, some parables are, are comparisons. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Some are more like proverbs than stories, but the most memorable of the parables are stories. The good Samaritan, the prodigal son, 
Their stories designed to teach something, designed to illustrate something, designed to provoke something in us. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be exploring two particularly memorable parables. This morning, we're looking at the parable of the sower. And in many ways, this is the parable about parables, the parable that tells us why Jesus spoke in parables, the parable that teaches us how to read other parables. If you want to begin a series looking at the parables of Jesus, well, then the parable of the sower is the place to start. So keep your Bibles open at Matthew chapter 13. You'll notice there, uh, and you might have noticed as we read through, that the passage is essentially split into three. Jesus tells the parable to the crowds. Then he explains to his disciples why he speaks in parables. And then he explains the meaning of the parable to them. And so you'll notice in that sermon outline, I've posted that in the Facebook comments, you'll notice in the outline those three points. So firstly, let's look at the parable itself. You'll notice there in verses 1 and 2, Jesus is speaking to a large crowd. At this point in the gospel, huge crowds have been gathering to him, and this crowd is so large that Jesus has to get on a boat, Uh, and he he speaks to them from the boat. They're they're standing on the shore, and he tells them many things in parables. He begins with the parable of the sower. Now, there are some parables that have uh, quite a developed plot, the parable of the prodigal son, for instance. But there's not really too much in terms of plot development here, is there? A farmer sows his seed on four different kinds of soil. Depending on the soil, it either doesn't grow at all, or it grows and dies, or it grows and produces a crop. And that's it. That's the end of the parable. It's a pretty simple parable. But imagine that you've been there in the crowd. Imagine that you've just heard this story about a farmer scattering seed and Different things happen depending on where it fell. What would you think of that story? What does it mean? Why did Jesus tell it? Is it about farming? Make sure you plant your seed on good soil, but then it's just common sense, right? Everyone knows that already. What does it mean? Why does it, and why doesn't Jesus just tell them plainly? Why does he use stories like this? This is exactly what the disciples wanted to know. Verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Which is a fair enough question, given the parable Jesus just told, right? So let's look at how Jesus replies. Verse 11 and 12, why does Jesus speak in parables? Well, he says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. In other words, Jesus speaks in parables because there's something he wants to give to the disciples that he doesn't want to give to others. The secrets of the kingdom of heaven are for the disciples, not for the crowds. And so that raises a question for us. Did Jesus speak in parables to deliberately obscure his message? To make his teaching hard to understand? Well, if you read through the parables in the Gospels, you'll find that actually the vast majority of the parables 
actually make his message easier to understand. This parable, the parable of the sower, is one of very few parables that needs some kind of explanation in order to be understood. So then, what does he mean by this? Well, he goes on to quote Isaiah chapter 6, and Isaiah 6 gives us the key to understanding what Jesus is saying here. We read that as well. John read that for us, our first passage. In Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah has a vision. He sees God on his throne. After having his sin atoned for, Isaiah hears God asking someone, uh, asking for someone who he can send. And Isaiah volunteers, so here I am, send me. And then God gives him his assignment. Isaiah is to go and preach a message to God's people, a message that will harden their hearts, dull their ears, and close their eyes, a message that will lead to their destruction. Now, imagine being given that as your assignment, right? to be sent out by God with a message that will only cause the people to harden their hearts. Well, as you read through the Old Testament, you might notice this is actually a bit of a pattern with God's people. His people rebel, they turn away from him, they begin to sin against him, and God sends them a prophet who warns them of the coming judgment and pleads with them to turn back to God. But almost every time, the people only harden their hearts and rebel against God all the more. Now, it wasn't that the prophets deliberately spoke in obscure ways that were hard to understand. It wasn't that they spoke in some kind of code that needed to be deciphered. As if the people needed to figure out God's coming in judgment. No, the prophets spoke clearly. They appealed to the people in ways that they could understand. It's just that the message was one that people didn't want to hear. It was a message they didn't want to understand. And so Jesus, the ultimate prophet, like any good prophet, he taught in parables to appeal to the people and to make his message clear. To make it clear for those who have ears to hear. See, where parables find a willing response, where people have ears to hear, Jesus gives further explanation. But where there is no response, the message is lost entirely. And so what ends up happening is, as Jesus speaks in parables, the parables act to divide people. They divide believer from unbeliever, disciple from enemy. Not because they deliberately obscure the message, but because the message falls on deaf ears and hard hearts. Parables divide people. The division can be seen in the response. See, parables demand a response. But depending on the person, the same parable can produce a very different response. For some, the effect of the parables will actually be to harden their hearts because they don't want to hear the message. They don't want to understand. They've blocked their ears, they've closed their eyes, and so they don't understand. They reject the message and continue to live the way they always have in rebellion against God. But for others, for those who have ears to hear, who have eyes to see and hearts to understand, they will hear the parables 
return to Jesus and be healed. They will be restored and forgiven and brought back into right relationship with their creator. The same story, the same message, the same parable will have different effects on different people. And this is exactly what we see as Jesus explains the parable to his disciples in verses 18 to 23. See, the seed the farmer sows is the message about the kingdom. It's the gospel. The message that the kingdom of God has come, that Jesus is the king. The response is to repent and believe. This is the message Jesus preached. This is the message of the parables. The parables are about the kingdom of God. But those who hear the message respond quite differently, don't they? Some don't understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. They hear the message, but their response is to reject it. And of course, there are many, there have been many throughout history who have heard the good news of Jesus and rejected it. But not everyone rejects the message straight away, do they? There are actually many who accept the message with gladness, with joy at first, but it doesn't last. I've seen it over and over again with teenagers at youth group. They hear the message and they receive it with joy because it's a good message, isn't it? That Jesus died and rose again in our place so that we could be forgiven so that we could have peace with God and eternal life, that salvation is by grace through faith, not by works, that our eternal life doesn't depend on us, it depends on Jesus. It's a great message, and there are many who accept it. But sometimes, and perhaps you've seen this, those that initially accept the message with gladness, they fall away. They start so well, but at some point things get difficult. They come across opposition, a friend, a boss, perhaps even a family member, a parent, a husband or wife who makes things difficult for them because they believe. And when it gets too hard, when it's causing too much trouble, they fall away. This is not just for new believers. There are people who go through life for 30 or 40 years as believers, not really coming across any opposition at all, but then something happens and they give up. Like a tree that's been standing for years but has never faced a storm. Are you ready for a storm? Are you ready for trouble and persecution? How deep are your roots? But of course, not everyone falls away when trouble comes. I'd say actually the vast majority of those I've seen fall away. They don't fall away because of trouble and persecution. They fall away because they let other things become more important. They also hear the good news and accept it gladly. But as Jesus says, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the wound making it unfruitful. 
Wealth is incredibly deceitful, isn't it? it promises so much. It promises freedom. Freedom from work, from toil. Freedom to do what we want when we want. Freedom to make others do things for us. With money, with wealth comes freedom. Right? It promises happiness. If only we could afford to buy this or that, go on holidays here or there, if we could afford to extend the house, to put on an outdoor entertaining area, then we'd be happy. Money promises a certain lifestyle. It promises security. If we have enough money in the bank, then we can then we can deal with any disaster. Anything that happens will be fine because we can afford to pay for it. Wealth promises so much. But the reality is wealth doesn't deliver on any of its promises. Instead of freeing us, wealth ends up making us slaves. Instead of happiness, more money usually ends up making us more miserable. And instead of making us more secure, the more wealth we have, the less secure we feel. Wealth is so deceitful. And yet so often our pursuit of wealth and the worries it brings ends up choking the word and making us unfruitful as believers. Of all the people I've seen fall away from Jesus, nine out of ten will have been the thorny ground. Those that let the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth overtake their lives. There is one more soil left, isn't there? One response Jesus is looking for. Verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. One who hears the word and understands it. That's who Jesus is looking for. What do they do? They produce a crop. Jesus often talks about fruit or fruitfulness as the mark of those who believe. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And sometimes people make the mistake of thinking that this is about evangelism, that if you're the good soil, then you will produce other believers, other Christians, perhaps 100, perhaps 60, perhaps 30. But the fruit isn't other believers. The fruit isn't that you made other Christians because you can't make other believers. You can't change hearts. You don't choose people for salvation. God does. They're the fruit, the crop produced by the word falling on good soil on those who have ears to hear is a life that reflects the gospel. A life of joyful and willing repentance and submission to Jesus the King. And so as we finish, let me speak quickly of our response to this parable. There are three things I think this parable does for us, helps us to understand and challenges us. Firstly, it helps us to understand why so many rejected the message, even when Jesus himself preached it. It wasn't that there was a problem with the message or that Jesus failed to convince people. Now, the problem was hard hearts and blocked ears. They didn't want to hear. They didn't want to understand. 
the prophecy from Isaiah was fulfilled in Christ. This is why so many rejected the message, even when Jesus himself preached. Secondly, it's an encouragement to us who share the gospel today. See, we know from the mouth of Jesus himself that not everyone will accept it. We need to be ready for rejection when it comes to sharing the gospel. But the encouragement here is that there will be some who do accept it. And when they do, when they do, there is a rich harvest. And so it's worth proclaiming the gospel. It's worth spreading the message of the kingdom. And thirdly and finally, this parable is a warning. A warning to examine ourselves and our response to God's word. Are we putting down deep roots, ready for trouble and persecution? Are we planted deeply in God's word? Are the scriptures firmly embedded in our minds and in our hearts? Or is our knowledge and understanding shallow? putting down those roots in the word so that when trouble and persecution comes, you will stand. Are we in danger of becoming the thorny ground? Are we letting other things in life choke our response, our fruitfulness? Are we chasing after the things of this world rather than seeking God's kingdom? Are we putting our trust in wealth or in the promises of God fulfilled in Christ? Which soil will you be? Will you join me in, with, in praying uh, as we finish? Now, Heavenly Father, we ask you once again, as we did before we opened your word, that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us hearts to understand, that we might respond to the message of the kingdom with repentance and faith that we may live lives of obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.